On a budget of $8 million, Little Miss Sunshine premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January of 2006. Fox Searchlight Pictures offered $10 million plus 10% of all the gross revenue to have the film's rights, making it one of the biggest deals in the history of Sundance. In July of 2006, Little Miss Sunshine hit screens nationwide and made over $100 million at the box office. It also got two wins on four nominations at the 79th Academy Awards. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. Welcome to episode 15 of Oscar Sunday. How are you, Connor? Pretty good. Pretty good. I've just seen a barrage of great movies I had never seen before, and I'm excited to talk about them today. Yeah, man. 2006 is a fascinating year. Before we get into anything 79th Academy Awards, I just want to say that Casino Royale, <laughs> Children of Men, The Prestige, these are some films that jump out to us that you know maybe got a little overlooked at times at the Oscars. Holy yeah. shit, what, what a year already. And then, you know, Little Miss Sunshine, The Departed, The Queen, Babel, uh, Letters from Iwo Jima. Come on, man. This is a great year. What, what are your favorites? Oh, I adore uh, Blood Diamond pops out. Oh, That's yes, such a fantastically yes. underrated film. Yes. Uh, pretty much all the ones you pointed out. Um, I really, <laughs> Idiocracy is one of my favorites. Inside yes. Man. Oh, yes. Um, it's the Da Vinci Code is a personal favorite of mine. Yes. Talladega Nights. Like, it just, it's such a great year for cult films, really. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those fun years where, you know, you got a lot of films that made like $100 million or so, right? And they just kind of like, like you said, found their audience, became a cult film. Yeah. And the one we're talking about today, Little Miss Sunshine, is the definition of that. Like I said, on that, that tight budget of $8 million with this all-star cast of Tony Collette, Greg Kinnear, Alan Arkin, Paul Dano, Abigail Breslin. It just lights out performances from all of them uh, all at the same time. And this, this movie is really special, man. It, you know, wowed audiences and wowed me when I was in, I think, eighth grade is when I first saw it with my older brother. And it's one of those films that you first saw that you, you started to understand, oh my gosh, this is really good writing. This is really good dialogue. And, you know, that's why it got this Oscar, right? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, that's also why Alan Arkin got, got his Oscar because some of his lines are absolutely incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Always with the fucking chicken. <laughs> yeah. Right, right from the get go, you know, it's insane. He just, he has some of the best lines and then his, his um, character storyline is extremely poignant. And something that we're going to get into later is the plot of this, this awesome film, Little Miss Sunshine from 2006. Uh, when did you first see this film? I, I first saw this film about three months ago. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. On a whim, my grandma wanted to show it to me and I watched it and I was like, this is brilliant. This is hilarious. I love this movie. And then you wanted to do it on the show and I was like, great, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I knew the first 2000s film we did was uh, In the Bedroom. Yeah. And that's uh, early 2000s. And I knew we were going to be attacking some sort of mid 2000s film. And Little Miss Sunshine was the first one that popped out. I adore it. I uh, had a hard time leaving it off my top 10 of the 2000s decade podcast uh, over on Filmgasm. Had a real tough time leaving it off there. It's, it's so dear to my heart. The, the soundtrack, you know, the acting, the writing, all of these things. 
it's it's so you know indie and all that but it, but it really is a powerful movie and I, I'm, I'm so glad you got to see it because i know it's um one of your grandmother's favorites right yes yeah she loves this movie yeah well i hope she gets to listen to this podcast man this is going to be a lot of fun because we're going to admire this film uh and some other ones from 2006 the 79th academy awards uh the departed the big winner here yeah and i do want to talk about that film we're certainly going to just pick it one day when we uh when we revisit 2006 that's probably the movie we will uh attack next do you think it deserved all of the you know the nominations and the because it's you know it's scorsese right it's got these amazing actors in it these you know all-star kind of performances and it's an entertaining movie for sure, but it's nowhere near one of Scorsese's like best movies in my mind. Where do you see it? Um, I think it's very divisive. I think the departed is an awesome gangster flick. I think it's got some incredible performances. Yes. I don't think it should have been the one Scorsese took on director for, I think. Okay. Okay. By now, like by 2006, he should have, he should have had a statue for Goodfellas. He possibly maybe should have had one for Raging Bull. I think that The Departed was very much a consolation prize. Mm -hmm. It's a shame that that's how it went down. They clearly had it planned out. I remember seeing that show when Coppola, Lucas, and Spielberg showed up and did like a a shtick. Like they're going to give anybody but Scorsese their school chum an Oscar tonight. I mean, come on. It was a a show. And uh, it's a shame that it went down like that because this is a great movie. It, I agree with you. It is not his greatest movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Goodfellas is universally seen as his best. Yeah. Pretty much. His best, his best film overall. And the one that definitely should have beat Dances with Wolves. Right. It's just oh, we'll not even that. fucking Travis close. At some point. Yeah. Don't, don't worry. And we'll treat that almost the same way we did uh, the 1989 fiasco of Driving Miss Daisy winning over those awesome films from 1989. Yeah. Two in a row. I, I, yeah, I feel similarly about Dance with Wolves. I just think it's not very good at all. <laughs> and Goodfellas is like an all-timer. I, I, yeah, I think it's a little frustrating. It might be frustrating for Scorsese himself, right? Like, hey, man, you know, I've been putting in work for decades, and I here they are, you know, from Mean Streets and Taxi Driver and all this stuff to, you know, like you said, Goodfellas. And I, I don't know. It just I don't like when the Oscars does that, but they do that do that thing often where they honorary award or it feels like almost a participation award. And we don't want that. We want, we want the best of the best. And I'm not saying that he didn't, I'm not saying the departed isn't good. I think it's a very entertaining movie and it's awesome. And I do think it probably deserves to be one of the five movies nominated for best picture. But, but to say, you know, that it deserves all this stuff. And when you look back at 2006, it just dominated. I don't know if that's 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 right necessarily when we look back now. Well, it's still such a cool movie. It's it's so um, stylized. It's intriguing. It's exciting. It's dramatic. I love it. I give The Departed a nine. I adore that movie. But Scorsese has so many nines, and he has <laughs> and some tens. Got tens, and those should have been the ones he got the Oscar for. And uh, that's re- pretty much where I stand. I love the movie, but yeah, he yeah. Has- director should have gone to someone else yeah and we'll leave the rest of our thoughts on the departed for whenever we get to cover it you know it's, that's going to be a lot of fun uh to do scorsese in general will be fun uh we we did gangs of new york and had a blast on the film podcast you know we love some of his work and it is divisive that's a great way to put it you, you know some people 
don't like Scorsese, right? Think it's redundant. Think that he, I, I just disagree with those people. I think that's a, a small and uh, stupid fan club. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 make, he makes really entertaining movies and that's, that's yeah. awesome. And The Departed is one of those. But um, all right, back to Loma Sunshine. Yes. I, w- I want to talk about Miss Abigail Breslin. Now, I would venture to say that Tony Collette gives the best performance in this film. Okay. Why, why is she not up, and why is Abigail Breslin up? Is it just because it's supporting and in, in lead? Is that it? I think it's because Abigail Breslin's performance is particularly stunning because she is a child. She's, you know, how old is she in this? Seven, eight years old? Yeah, something like that, yeah. She's so good, and she's a kid. There's, that combination is so fucking rare. It's only happened a few times at the Oscars, you know, Tatum O'Neill, Anna Paquin. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does happen, it is amazing. And for some reason, the Oscars have always seemed to have it out for Tony Collette. They never give her her due. Except for that one time, yeah. the Sixth Sense. And even then, I didn't think it was the one, like... She doesn't no. really stand out in that one as much as Haley Joel does. But uh, it's that scene in the car with Grandma's Ghost. I know it is. That's the one that got them nominated. 100%. But, um, yeah, Tony Collette is fantastic in this. She's another actress who should have a couple Oscars by now. But, yeah, just I don't know what it is. Well, yeah, she should have won for, um, you know, playing Annie in uh, 2018, uh, Hereditary. She should have won for that. That was a year where they didn't really know where to go and – they, I believe it went to Olivia Coleman that year. And I just, yeah, I think, I think Tony Collette was absolutely stellar and hereditary. And then right here. So if, if you were to give Tony Collette the nomination for best actress, whereas Abigail Breslin is in the best supporting, you're looking at a group of Kate Winslet, Meryl Streep, Judy Dench, Penelope Cruz, and Helen Mirren. <laughs> and I just, I just think Tony Collette deserves to be in there. I love, I love all those women, but she's fucking phenomenal in Little Miss Sunshine. Honestly, take out Meryl Streep. I think The Devil Wears Prada is not... I think she's quirky and, you know, bitchy, but is it an amazing performance worthy of an Oscar nomination? No, it's just... There's, you know... I feel like at the end of every Oscars contract, there's like, oh, and nominate Streep. Like, a lot of her nominations don't need to be there. (laughs) She's amazing. I love her. I love that movie, too. Devil Wears Prada is very funny, but I I see what you're saying. I definitely understand your point where she has so many. It's like, really? Do we need to give her to this one for doing this movie that's on TNT every weekend? You know? (laughs) He was nominated for Into the Woods. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, that one's the most upsetting of all of them, in my opinion. Um, And she wasn't nominated nominated for Death Becomes Her, and that's irritating to me. Yeah, yes. I, I don't have a problem with a lot of her 70s and 80s nominations. They're all pretty much rightfully, you know, hers. She's incredible. But yeah, man, I take, take her out and you got Tony Collette. She deserves that spot. Yeah. Do you think that she deserves the win or would you give it still to Helen Mirren for the queen? That's really, that's really hard. Helen Mirren's doing some, obviously doing some cool stuff. The queen's a movie you saw recently. I've saw maybe, I'm not sure when the last time I watched it, it feels like a year, year and a half ago. And it's not the best movie, right? You know, it's not, not the most entertaining thing, but you, you do have a great performance from Helen Mirren. I'm not sure if I can take that away from her. I don't know. But Tony Collette is, yeah, she's definitely deserves a nomination. Yes. Yes, indeed. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you are. I think she's, I think they're both fantastic. Regrettably, I haven't seen the rest of these films, Volver, uh, Notes on a Scandal, Little Children, and I've only seen about 60, 70% of the De- Devil Wears Prada. 
like you said, it is on TNT every week. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen Volver once. It's been, it's been a long time, but I love Penelope Cruz. She is, she's wonderful. She is. She is wonderful. Uh, it's a toss up really. I mean, Helen Mirren is really good as Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah, it's it it's totally fine, and that that you know I'm gonna let that bleed over into the men that are in Little Miss Sunshine. Alan Arkin obviously got the win, but do do you think Greg Kinnear deserved to be in there somewhere? Yes, or or, or Steve Carell, Steve Carell, who I think I forgot to mention earlier, Paul Dano. I mean, come on, these guys are great. Yeah, the whole Best Supporting Actor lineup could be people from this movie. They're all so good. Yeah. <laughs> And, and one of my favorite, favorite things about Little Miss Sunshine, as time has passed, and, and I think you'll love this, and I think you probably saw this when you watched it a few months ago, is, uh, you know, it's 2006, so you're thinking, uh, we're also, we're in New Mexico throughout this film. You're thinking, all right, you know, uh, Breaking Bad's just two years after this, right? All right, cool, yeah. Oh, my God, is that, is that Brian Cranston? Oh, my God, is that Dean Norris? Oh, Wow. It's really cool to see Walter White and Hank Schrader in Little Miss Sunshine as this this guy who kind of seems like pre-Walter White, doesn't it? A little bit. And Dean and, Norris is a cop. And, and, Dean Nor- and Dean Norris is a cop. So I always loved that. You know, putting that together is a lot of fun. You're in New Mexico. What the fuck? <laughs> I am absolutely ready to put Little Miss Sunshine in the Breaking Bad canon. Let's just take El Camino out and put a little bit of sunshine in. <laughs> I got it. Uh, buy it. Sure. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. It, it, it's just a funny little thing, right? You know, Stan Grossman uh, and, and Stan Grossman, if I'm not mistaken, is that from um, what's that a shout out to? That's a name and something, isn't it? It sounded familiar, but I, I couldn't it, tell you off the top of my head. Is it, is it Fargo? It might be. Let me, let me find out. I'm not 100%. I feel like that's from something. I'm, I, I'm not 100% sure. That's what we're here for, right? To talk Dan about Dan Grossman, it. business partner of Wade Gustafson in Fargo. Way to pull that out of nowhere, man. So, so okay. So, not only do we have the Breaking Bad bit of Brian, but Brian Cranston's character's name is Stan Grossman. And a shout out to Fargo. Incredible writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, this movie is just special, right? And we're finding out new things uh, as we go. A uh, little bit of sunshine altogether. Four nominations. Before we get into them and really talk about them, does it deserve other ones? Ooh. Okay. Um, all right. It is up for supporting actor, screenplay, yes. picture, supporting actress. Yes. Big ones. Yes. Um, I'm surprised it didn't have a nomination for directing. Okay. Yeah. And do you think there's any smaller ones that it should have been up for, or technical, or do you think it, it rightfully got big ones? Cinematography. I like that. I like that. That's yeah. a good call. The way this film is shot is pretty gorgeous. You really get to, sh- it shows off the road trip quality of this film, the, you know, the van, the, the kind of wear and tear of the road trip and the, um, the complete shift in personality from beginning yes. to end of everybody in this film. Cinematography is a big part of that. And yes, 100%. That's, that should have been up for this. I this love it. But, but, but listen to this, man. Listen to okay. this group that was up for best cinematography that year. Okay. The Prestige, The Illusionist, Children of Men, The Black Dahlia, and Pan's Labyrinth, the winner. Whoa. Going dark. <laughs> what a group. Why is The Black Dahlia there? 
I don't know. That is such a, I've, it's such a bomb. It's such a critically reviled movie. It's weird <laughs> that it's here amongst these masterpieces. Uh, so weird, man. What on earth? I yeah. love that group. I love that group. How, like you said, how dark it is. Yeah, rip that out of here. Throw in Little Miss Sunshine. Give put a little light in that, like <laughs> rainstorm. Jesus Christ! Literally a little bit of light because new, uh, you know, like we said, New Mexico is the setting of Little Miss Sunshine. It's very much using the the yellow van as a character, and it feels like it's daytime the entire time. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I have not seen The Illusionist. Or Pan's Labyrinth, regrettably. But I've heard they're great. You haven't, you haven't seen either of those? I feel like you would I know. really dig both of them. I know. It's, there's Chil- a lot. Children of Men. Ch- children of Men. It, it's like Alfonso Cuaron. This guy just doesn't know how to fucking miss. He, I, I, I don't understand. That movie is incredible. Should have been up for Best Picture. Absolutely. Clive Owen should have been up for Best Actor. That movie was unbelievable. And The Prestige is one of my favorites. Like... That movie is such a fun watch. Uh, no kidding, dude. And bump it up. Bump it up to best sound mixing, and you throw in Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Fuck Yeah, Flags of Our Fathers, Blood Diamond, Apocalypto, and Dream Girls. What the hell? It was a strange year. So many, like, just off-kilter combinations you got here. Oh, and then the Pixar movie was Cars. Ugh. You know what? Cars has grown on me. I, I don't mind cars. Not me. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like how they tr- tried to kind of use it as like the next Toy Story and they're like, oh, let's franchise this shit and make multiple of them. You are not Toy Story. Get out of here. <laughs> I like the idea of, you know, big shot in a small town learns, you know, to appreciate the, the little yeah. thing. I like that yeah. idea. Was Paul the first Newman, one. Like, last performance. First one's fine. I love Owen Wilson. Yeah, me too. I don't. I love the line where he just screams, "I'm in hillbilly hell." I never thought I'd hear that in a Pixar movie. <laughs> so there's little things, but I do agree it's not one of Pixar's like you know biggest efforts. They have done better. <laughs> yeah, no, it's in like the latter half for me. Well, it actually lost. It Cars lost to Happy Feet. It should have lost to Monster House. That movie is awesome. <laughs> we love Monster House. Yes, it's great. Uh, check out Film Guys if you want to hear some more you know stuff on you know creepy films. Oh, we will do Monster House at some point. That that movie is so dark for a kid's movie. <laughs> how have we not? I thought we did. I, I don't even know. I've gotten lost with how many episodes we <laughs> sure it came up at some point, but we haven't done it as a uh, focus yet. <laughs> that's great. Oh man. Yeah, these are these are fun to just go through. I, I, be, last one, best actor. <laughs> we have Will Smith, Peter O'Toole, Ryan Gosling, Leonardo DiCaprio, and the winner, Forrest Whitaker. Holy shit. <laughs> that is, that's, that's insane. Peter O'Toole for his last uh, nomination, nominated role, Venus. Weird. And then yeah, Will Smith was great. DiCaprio was great. I, I haven't seen Half Nelson or The Last King of Scotland. I can't. Yeah, you know me. You know Half Nelson's one of my favorite movies. Probably my favorite movie from 2006 if it came down to it. And it's because of what Gosling's doing. And I rated it as, you know, I think I had it as my number one, didn't I? My number one Ryan Gosling performance of all time as well when I did my top five of his. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a tough watch. I think he was 27 when he got nominated for that, which made him the youngest at the time to be nominated. And it's just, 
what he's doing that is real special. I, I highly suggest people who love watching an individual just kind of go for it. That's the kind of movie uh, for you, Half Nelson. So would you give Gosling the win then? Oh, yeah. I don't think it's even close. Yeah. Not, yeah. For me, it's not close. Yeah. I've heard Whitaker's performance is lights out in the last I love. Yeah, no, I like him a lot. I, 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 even though Leo occasionally slips up on the accent here and there, I do think he's really good in, in Blood Diamond. I do. South African is hard. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough when you're, yeah, when you're constantly doing these Boston characters, right? You just did The Departed, so yeah. He had a good year. <laughs> no kidding. He, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, I think it's safe to say that the 2000s, as far as quality and consistency, Leo was just all over the place, working nonstop. I'd like to move to best supporting actor. I think this is the most interesting. And this, this is where we can bring little miss sunshine in. And from here on out, we'll talk about little miss. So we have Mark Wahlberg for the departed, Eddie yes. Murphy for dream girls, uh, Jaiman Hunsau for blood diamond, Jackie Earl Haley for little children and the winner, Alan Arkin for little miss sunshine. So notoriously Eddie Murphy was told he was going to win this award. That's why he was there. And as soon as Alan Arkin was announced the winner, Murphy, fucking left <laughs> because this was a time when eddie murphy was you know one of the biggest stars on the planet and his ego was the size of jupiter Thanks yes to, you know a decade of horrendous films kind of brought him down a little bit and i think he's i think he's realized he was kind of a dick <laughs> oh for sure well the population people just made him realize he was a dick and it took him some time to learn that reflect and come back and finally make a good movie in dolomite Yes, yes, indeed. I hope we get more good movies. Me too, because I do, I do like his style, yes. This, oh man. Mark Wahlberg is not the guy I would have picked for a nomination from The Departed. I would have backed Jack Nicholson 100%. Me too. I, I, I think that was almost like a cute thing that they did. Like, oh, let's, let's nominate Mark Wahlberg. I, come on, Jack Nicholson. You're right, it's got to be Jack. And I almost would think that he should have won this one. Maybe. Maybe, Maybe. I I love Alan Arkin in this, but Jack Nicholson is is pretty outstanding in The Departed. Jack is off the fucking wall in everything he does. <laughs> but The Departed, there was like an extra level of crazy he hadn't yeah. had for a long time. Costello, oh my God. <laughs> oh, um, what what's that line? Um, I don't want to be a you know a product of the environment. I want the environment to be a product of me. Oh man. Oof. <laughs> yeah, that's a fucking, fucking villain right there. Fucking pussies. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's so absurd. I love it. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's Boston on steroids, man. Yeah, so we'll definitely do The Departed next time we revisit 2006. But you're right, man. It's got to be Jack over Mark. Um, Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin, there's not really an argument here. Like, he's so good in Little Miss Sunshine that it's like, it's fine. It's fine that he wins. You can say what you want about other people, but. It's it's I'm it's got to be acceptable that he won. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He, he was he was fantastic. Who? So do you think supporting actors should also be given to Paul Dano, Steve Carell, like just the whole, all of them, or would you pick somebody <laughs> specifically? Uh, uh, if I had to choose another one of those guys, man, I think I'd go Steve Carell. Um, Shit, man. So the the like range of his from his character at the beginning, we clearly find out that he tried to commit suicide, and that he's a Proust scholar, the number one in the nation, and he is gay, and 
now is going to be living with his sister in New Mexico and their family is just kind of like, you know, all over the place and it's kind of a mess and it's not really a stable place for him to live. And the room he's going to stay in is with a guy who's taking a vow of silence until he can get into the air force. (laughs) You know, it's just such an interesting place to put a character in Steve Carell literally fresh off his, you know, season one and two of the office for him to do that at the same time, it, it shows true, it shows true skill, true talent. Well, I was reading into it that um, Steve Carell was pretty much an unknown at the time. Like, The Office mm-hmm. had really taken Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. He'd in, you know, he'd have bit parts in a few comedies, but he was nowhere near the superstar he is now. So they really no. took a risk picking Carell for that role, and he really and, sold it. And Paul Dano, for that matter. Taking yeah. the risk on Paul Dano, who, who has had this, you know, fascinating run, right? And surely we're going to be talking about him early in 2021. Um, again, but he just directed his first film a couple years ago, Wildlife. He's a guy who I have found like a personal connection to. He's all over the Criterion channel. He, he's made a bunch of picks of movies that you can watch on there. And I, I just like love him as a creator. So they made that call on him and Abigail Breslin as kids, you know, and they, Steve Carell, they made, took the risk and they didn't get a huge like leading type actor. They got a bunch of character actors. Yeah. And they're like, this is, this is just going to fucking work. And it did. And it did. It's so cool. I will take character actors over Hollywood superstars any day of the week. They always bang, deliver. Bang, bang, and they're bang, always bang. so fascinating to watch. Bang, bang, bang. 100%. The only person that's missing from this film is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. If he, were, if he were in it just as like the guy who's working at the pageant, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Was, oh, my God. Uh, he should play. He should have played the creepy like pseudo pedophile host of the pageant. I could see that. Oh my gosh. That would be, <laughs> that would be brilliant. This is, this is around the time mission impossible three came out. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. We'd have two reasons to hate him that year. <laughs> hey, he's really good at mission impossible three. I'll always stand by that. I mean he's like how only... scary his character is like, Oh, okay. Okay. He's great in that movie. Yeah. He's just fucking terrifying. <laughs> I really don't like too many of the mission impossibles, but that, role that character stands out you know like he's 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 frightening those first three suck but he fucking owned it (laughs) yeah i'm I'm just not i'm gonna make him memorable yeah i'm just not that into those i think tom cruise has done way cooler stuff for for me personally i agree i agree something about those those last three i don't know what changed oh they're epic i mean they're just epic the 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 scale is like what you know it's insane (laughs) oh very good very good um, so you said you go Steve Carell. I would back Paul Dano, I think. For I love it. I love it. I mean, talk about a guy who, you know, doesn't speak, you know, the entire film and is using his, his gestures, using writing on a notepad. And then finally the scene when he screams, oh my God. Fuck! And, yeah. I hate all of you. You're not my family. You know, just finally lets it all out. Nine and months, it, no words. Yeah. And that's his first <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because he finds he's finds out he's colorblind. I'm with you, man. I have no problem. And Greg Kinnear, dude, Greg Kinnear is like, I mean, I've never seen a guy fit cargo shorts and Hawaiian shirts so goddamn well. He plays such a self-help douchebag so well. It's scary. It's, un- it's unbelievable. <laughs> Greg Kinnear has this like uncanny ability to play like dads, like yes. dad dad type characters and tony collette mind you is the best mom of all time (laughs) (laughs) 
I feel like Kinnear could fail to sell me anything. <laughs> That's the vibe I get in this movie. Like that man yeah. has never had a break in his life because he keeps betting everything Ugh. on horrible ideas. The, just the way, just the way he walks into the kitchen the first time and pulls up his pants and says, they do that horse shit every year. <laughs> he's, he's something else. Everyone is in this movie. They're all perfectly cast and they all could have been up for something, right? That's kind of the point of like choosing this movie because they're, they're all so good and it's such a dear, dear, dear movie. Uh, screenplay. Yes. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about screenplay here. Uh, man, this movie has, obviously we've been quoting it. It's got such good quotes, great dialogue back and forth at times, really funny at time, times, really poignant. Um, it's going against Babel letters from Iwo Jima, Penn's labyrinth and the queen for best original screenplay. Okay. What say you, what say you about this category? I think I give it to, I give it to sunshine. I think this movie is all about the screenplay. It's all about this witty dialogue and these brilliant characters. Uh, Babel. I watched for the first time this uh, yesterday and it is such a brilliant lesson in creativity and storytelling. And I can easily see that taking screenplay, but little miss sunshine has so much heart that it's really tough to discount that movie. And I think that's exactly what the Oscars thought. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's, it's the first feature length film that Michael Arndt, Arndt uh, wrote and he, you know, wins the Oscar. Then he goes on to l- listen to this resume. He goes on to write toy story three, the hunger games, catching fire inside out and star Wars, the force awakens. Oof. What? Woof. <laughs> Woof. Not bad for that's, Matthew Broderick's former assistant. That's, that's some shit right there. And, you know, you got to think that when you show this kind of talent in one script, that's about, you know, it's an hour and 42 minute long movie. You yeah. show that, that tightness and you show that skill, you're going to be handed all kinds of cool projects. That is amazing. I had no idea he wrote The Force Awakens. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. dude. With Lawrence Kasdan and J.J. Abrams. That's wild. Yeah. That's cool. I'm happy for him. I really am. That's really yeah, good cool. for him. He, hey, he's from, he's from, uh, he's from Texas. So shout out to Mr. Arndt. Yeah. Right on. Uh, these other films, I can't speak for Pan's Labyrinth, regrettably. Uh, the queen. Yeah. I think it fudges some details. I think it makes things a little bit more, uh, Hollywood than they really were, but that's always the case with biopics. You know, nothing's ever as straightforward as it, should be when it comes to adapting to real life. Letters yeah. from Iwo Jima, fantastic story. That, oh, yes. oh, that yes. movie is so poignant and so well told. Uh, but again, just the heart of Little Miss Sunshine. There were so many dark movies <laughs> this year that I think the Oscars wanted to show some love to something lighter, you know? Yeah, I agreed. And even the one that's light, it has like one of the main characters just dies from a drug overdose in the middle of the movie. Yeah. So like, that's the light movie of the year is Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The story about the dysfunctional family with the brother who recently tried to commit suicide, the father who's lost his job, the son who loses his dream of being a pilot and, and hates everybody. Yeah. Yeah. God, they're, yeah, they're all struggling with their own like huge crisis, except for, except for Olive. She's just like, yeah, I just want to, 
I just want to dance. <laughs> but even she is, you know, about to enter this incredibly sick world of child beauty. Oh, for sure. I mean, and that's, you know, the whole thing is it's great that they get out of it right at the end. Oh. Yeah. That, that whole world has always fucking disgusted me. That that's even a thing is mind-blowing. Like, anything that sexualizes children should not be as popular as this world is. Like, how are parents attending this? How, I don't paying. Care. Paying for their children to be, like, it's odd. It's, it's definitely odd in a, a conversation that, that I have, you know, you and I haven't just had off, you know, like, why would we just talk about that? But it's definitely a big part of this movie. Right. And yeah, it is so bizarre, but they capture the culture like really well within minutes. And you have, I cannot remember what her name is, but she's the one kind of running the, the pageant. She's also the, the lady from um, Donnie Darko. She's that teacher. She's like, I'm, I'm questioning your commitment to sparkle motion, you know, in Donnie Darko. And she, Donnie, Donnie tells her to, to forcibly stick one of the uh, cards up her ass, you know, like that. She's that lady, and she plays basically the same lady in this movie. And, uh, <laughs> and she's terrible in it, but she captures exactly what we're talking about, just kind of like this weird, like almost backwards way of, what are we doing here? How are you guys making money off this shit? That is fucked up. And that creepy host who's like looking at all the kids like, yeah, work it. Like, what the fuck? I love, I love the guy who's like, I can sign him up. And then like when she finally leaves, he's like, I'm not working for these crazy people next year. I love the weird guy in the jean jacket who goes, yeah, after Olive's routine. Well, because uh, we first uh, see him and Greg Kinnear talking for a bit. And he's like, he pulls out one of his earplugs and he's like, first time. And Greg Kinnear's like, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> and puts his earbud back in, like, buckle up, motherfucker. <laughs> I have so many questions. Who is this motherfucker? Yeah, we're going to get into the plot, a little bit of the plot here in a little while. Uh, let, let, let's just go ahead and, uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of the acting categories. We've talked about screenplay. Um, let's go ahead and do best picture. Best picture. Okay. We this, have... will be the last, this will be the last category we talk about, and then we'll just kind of dive into the film, what we like about it. And, uh, yeah, this is... I'm excited to hear what you think about these five, like exactly what you think about them and why they deserve to be here. Okay. We have The Queen, Little Miss Sunshine, Letters from Iwo Jima, uh, Babel, and the winner, The Departed. Yes. Is it it Babel or Babel? I don't know. I think it's Babel, but I'm not 100%. I've heard it pronounced either way. I think both. Same. Same. I I Um, think we're okay. We've both seen it. That's good. Yes, that's what matters. (laughs) That's that's what matters. At least we're not saying, you know, Iwo Jima. Like, we're, we're not idiots. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that <laughs> this is a very interesting group. Um, yes. As, you know, always at the Oscars, for us anyway, I think for a lot of film fans, the nominees for Best Picture are supposed to represent the greatest that that year has to offer. And uh, I think it covered a, a, a good chunk of it for Best Picture. Uh, let's start with The Queen. So, The Queen is a movie that dramatizes the events right after the death of Princess Diana in 19... 19- yes. I think it was yeah, direct, directed by Stephen Frears. Um, yes. he's, he's awesome. He's done some cool shit. He is good. Frears is good. My favorite would probably be, I love My Beautiful Laundrette. I've talked about that. Daniel Day-Lewis is just fucking amazing in that movie. I haven't seen a lot of his films, but what I have seen, I really liked Philomena. Oh, yeah. That's a really good one. Underrated. Yeah, that was a dark movie. 
so the queen shows the reaction of Queen Elizabeth II to Diana's death, who at that point had already been estranged from the family. And the British people want her to rally behind them and, you know, mourn. But that stiff upper lip British high society bullshit gets in the way. And Queen Elizabeth believes that she should not mingle with the people and she should grieve in her own way. Meanwhile, newly elected Prime Minister Tony Blair, played by Michael Sheen, who absolutely should have been up for best actor, uh, he tries yeah. to reason with the Queen and kind of act as a liaison between the government and the Queen in this very delicate time for the British people. It's a very interesting story. It's, uh, it's a good movie. Uh, Helen Mirren's Lights Out, Michael Sheen is great. Is it as good as the rest of these films? I do not think so. Agreed. Agreed. I love everything you said there. Um, uh, especially with, uh, in regards to Mr. Sheen, it, it, it is good. It's a, it's an eight, an eight, a solid eight, but nothing more for me. Yeah, fair enough. And I've given, you know, I gave eights to, uh, two of the, two other, uh, two more of these films and, uh, but they have something that's just so special and the queen does not have that. Like, I feel like the queen will stay in eight. Whereas yes. Babel and Letters from Iwo Jima could go up. I, I totally agree with that. We have our own way of rating films here. It's all on the website if you're ever confused on that. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's you know, one, one to ten. And the way we see it, um, uh, a seven's like, hey, there's some stuff there. You know, we definitely like some parts of it. And an eight means this is solid. This is a good film. Recommend it. A nine is, hey, this personally kind of touched me. And a ten is, this is a masterpiece to me. Exactly. That's just kind of how we see it. So when we're talking in those terms, it's just a way to kind of organize them. And whether, whether that matters or not, uh, you know, it's, it can be for a conversation. And that's like what we're here to do, obviously, on the podcast and what the Oscars is all about. It's honoring movies, honoring actors and directors and writers and people who make costumes and people who film stuff and focus on art direction. You know, that's what we're here to just kind of discuss. Even if it's right or not, that's not what matters. It's just having a discussion. Exactly. Yes. And let's move on to Letters from Iwo Jima. Yes. So this was a, uh, a joint film with uh, Flags of Our Fathers. Clint Eastwood wanted to tell both sides of the Battle of Iwo Jima. And this film is from the Japanese perspective, which ironically was a huge success compared to the box office failure of Flags of Our Fathers. I find that very interesting. Extremely. Uh, Letters from Iwo Jima stars Ken Watanabe as the real Japanese general who was in charge of the Battle of Iwo Jima on the Japanese side. They knew it was a losing battle. They had no backup from the Imperial Army. And they were all going to their deaths. And in Japanese culture, traditionally, you die for your country. It's in, like, that's the intention, at least at the time. And it, you, it plays around with a couple of these soldiers and who they are back home and what they're, you know, going to lose. And it's, it's a very poignant film. And it really made you, it made me think about, you know, the, the real horrors of war and how not everybody is evil. You know, we're raised in, in America to believe that during World War II, the German and the ja Germans and the Japanese were the enemy. They were evil. They were monsters. They were after our freedom. And in reality, yeah, the military leaders were very much evil people. But these soldiers were drafted from their regular lives and told, you have yes. to fight for us. They weren't told why. They, they didn't know the truth behind all this shit, they were just told, you know, pick up a gun and aim it at the, aim it over there. And I love films like this that show you the other side of the story. We've, Perspective. We don't get that a lot in America. Perspective. Yeah. 
It's yeah, a great movie. One of Clint Eastwood's best works, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd say for sure. I, I was amazed at the delicacy that Clint Eastwood took to make this movie. I would have thought this super gung-ho, like, you know, American son of a bitch wouldn't have been so, uh, so kind of forgiving of the Japanese during World War II. Just didn't seem like that movie would have, you know, come out of this guy. <laughs> I never would have thought that. Exactly. Yeah. No, did not think that. And you, you mentioned Babel. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about that one. Oh, all right. So this one is, is one of the saddest fucking movies I've seen in a long time, but it could have been so much sadder. The way it ended, I was like, fuck. I was having heart palpitations. I was like, don't do this. <laughs> the whole and, time and, and, and it's, and it's uh, your, your boy, Brad Pitt. So come on. Yeah. Directed by uh, Alejandro Iñárritu, uh, recently achieved and you know, great acclaim for his films Birdman and The Revenant, which he won director for both. Yes. And uh, this was one of his early films. It's all about fate, circumstance, and bad fucking luck. It's this rifle that ends up in the hands of this, these Moroccan kids who end up shooting it at a tour bus, accidentally shooting an American tourist in the throat, Kate Blanchett. Brad Pitt, her husband, tries to get her to this village to get her operated on. They can't get a um, they can't get an ambulance because the moroccan government's refusing to acknowledge its terrorism meanwhile back at home their nanny is trying to go to her son's uh wedding in mexico but and in a horrible i knew this was going to end badly takes uh brad pitt and kate blanchett's kids with her to mexico because she can't get a sitter that whole thing backfires that was the saddest fucking story i thought that was going to go in a very dark place yeah and then meanwhile we have this deaf japanese girl uh, struggling with her grief over her mother's suicide and it's all connected and it's all because of this fucking gun it's it's brilliant it's a brilliant script it's an amazing all four stories are super compelling and um i could see an argument for this taking best picture this year this really I know. Was something special it's it yeah it's different and you you pointed out how it's a it's an eight movie that can definitely move up to a nine and move up to a ten at some day because it's a masterpiece kind of movie yeah and I think it takes I think it takes some maturity and some some seasoning to understand this movie and to really really immerse yourself into it. I saw this for the first time maybe when I was sixteen or seventeen, and I was not ready. I was not ready. Uh, I you know didn't didn't know quite what I was watching. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then and then as time goes on, you just you, you watch more stuff. You watch more stuff. You gain an appreciation for directors and certain certain ways that movies are filmed and Alejandro is certainly a guy I love nowadays. Right. And yeah. Ooh, Babel is a, Babel is a heavy one. It reminded me a lot of another film I watched recently, Cloud Atlas. Okay. Had that yeah. same kind of, you know, stories all connected that all have a similar theme of loss and hope. And it's, it's a very, uh, very grown up story. And I like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. We love you and I love, we, we love horror of course but we love mature, like adult grown up shit where there's dialogue that's happening. That's fucking real life adult shit. That's, you know, going on. We talked about on the waterfront on one of our episodes here. Yeah. And that the movie's just filled with dialogue. That's just adult shit. <laughs> well, I think above just, all, like regardless of genre, I just love amazing stories. I love great stories. That's well, yeah, you're, you're a writer. You're a good writer and a, a story, a storyteller. And so when you resonate, that resonates with you, of course, like, and, and Babel's 
doing all these different things. It's a great, I would love to read the script. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. That'd be pretty, that'd be pretty cool. I, it definitely has an argument here to be uh, the best picture winner. And that leads us to the best picture winner, the departed uh, remake of a, uh, I want to say Chinese. Yeah. A Hong Kong uh, film called infernal affairs where a mole is put into the Boston police department to investigate what they have on local crime boss, Frank Costello. And then a, the cops put a mole inside Costello's organization. So you've got Matt Damon, the bad mole, Leo DiCaprio, the good mole, both trying to catch each other. <laughs> it's, it's a very compelling film. The cast is amazing. Uh, Nicholson's best work in, de- in like a decade, I thought. Um, you've got great performances from Martin Sheen, Alec Baldwin, Vera Farmiga. And uh, it definitely was one of the best of that year. I love it. I'm okay with it taking best picture. Yeah, uh, it's, accept- it's acceptable for sure. You know? yeah. And it's a great crime drama. Uh, yeah. And uh, then we have Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> ah. Of these five, this would be this would be the this would be my pick, and uh, one of my main reasons for that is not just that I'm biased to it; it's definitely my favorite. But I, I do think that it, if anyone saw it, anyone in the world, I think there, I think there's stuff here that people just get the way the way this family is communicating and the small things that happen from. Uh, the the chicken getting the chicken and having these these little cups and pouring sprite into it and Tony Collette saying oh, everybody's gonna have a little bit of salad like these things are things that people understand yeah all all over the world and I think those movies are big I think those movies are really important the ones that kind of break down the language barrier break down all that stuff um, a movie that we've shouted out plenty of times but I have no problem shouting it out is Parasite. That's a movie that broke down the barrier of this isn't just a movie for Korea. This is a movie for people because systems around the world are broken, you know, and so it connected with people. I think Little Miss Sunshine in a much different light connects with people and it certainly connects with me and I, I would definitely give it my vote. Well done. I, uh, I would have no problem with this one taking best picture, but I just, because it's such a favorite of mine, I'm, I'm going to still keep the departed. Fair enough. That's fair. And and if if the, if I really could choose from 2006, it's got to be Children of Men for me. <laughs> Unbelievable yeah, movie. It's a great movie. Uh, I think one of the films that has the most lasting legacy from 2006, definitely Children of Men. Yeah, no kidding. One, yeah, that's one we could do on either podcast. It's it's a great sci-fi thriller, and it's just. Great. I know, I know. <laughs> it's right. It's it's one that you know touched the Oscars, but really, yeah, is really for the genre fans. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe down the road we'll we'll be doing Children of Men. You never know. So Little Miss Sunshine has an IMDb score of seven point eight. Very admirable. Yeah. Rotten Tomato score of ninety one percent. And uh, it grossed about 101 million bucks on an eight million dollar budget, with a Insane. limited release that got expanded. That's that's pretty fucking awesome. Incredible. And uh, let's talk a bit about the plot and what we liked from it. Yeah, man. You know, it opens up. You know, with that awesome song by Devotchka. How it will, how this will end. I believe is the title of the track, and you very clearly get a picture of what every character is kind of going through, right? Um, 
Tony Collette is smoking in the car and on the way to pick up her brother. Uh, Abigail Breslin is watching um, like a Miss America contest on TV and it's clearly on tape because she keeps rewinding it. Paul Dano is working out. He's bench pressing. Uh, Greg Kinnear is giving his spiel about his nine steps. <laughs> and then, and then Alan Arkin is doing cocaine or heroin. We don't know yet. Um, and he's just snorting it away in the bathroom. So we kind of get a, you know, get a glimpse into each of these characters. And Steve Carell, of course, is sitting in the wheelchair at the hospital waiting for Tony Collette to pick him up. And all these characters, you know, are, are into play just like that without even having to say a word. And it's, it's a great introduction. Um, I, love, I love the subtlety of it. And then you have the Little Miss Sunshine go over Steve Carell's face. And you're just kind of like, this is going to be a little bit different. It feels like a drama. It feels like a hardcore drama. And uh, it kind of is, but, you know, it's, it's a great dramedy. I love that term. It perfectly describes films like this. Yes, 100%. Little Miss Sunshine has some hilarious moments, some moments where I'm, like, almost crying. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I would say that's, that's like, right here, because you have uh, when Tony Collette picks, picks up um, Steve Carell, his name is Frank, right? Yeah. yeah. Picks up Frank from the hospital. It's clear that he's, you know, got these, these bandages, so he's clearly tried to commit suicide. She's picking up and taking him home, right? And so you kind of have the family all coming together for dinner. <laughs> and this scene is incredible. This is some of the best writing of the whole movie is when they're all there and you have Paul Dano, you know, writing stuff saying like, it sucks here, you know, <laughs> and he's showing, he's showing it to Frank, to Steve Carell. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'm sure it does. And <laughs> then, you know, uh, Alan Arkin and Abigail Breslin are outside, you know, practicing dance routines. Right. And when they come inside and he sees the chicken on the table, <laughs> what does he say, Connor? Always with the fucking chicken. This perfect, just cantankerous old grandpa. It's so great. He's got like a fanny pack on, and yeah, he's just really upset that they're having fried chicken again. And in his fanny pack is heroin and razor blades <laughs> and rolled up dollars. It's yeah. Fucking crazy. I love that we know grandpa is teaching Olive this routine the whole time, but the yeah, family has never seen this. So they... At the end, when we finally see the routine, I love that the family had never fucking checked on Grandpa and and Olive, not once. Nobody yeah, this clue. this like drugged out Grandpa who's like teaching a dance routine to a seven year old. They never thought like, oh, that choreography might be a little bit weird. <laughs> just goes to show nobody really gives a shit about anybody else's interests in this family. Everyone's kind of just here because they have to be. They're yeah, and they're all like just worn out in their own way, you know. Yeah. And we all kind of like have this soft spot for each of them as we go along. You're like, oh, I kind of see why the they are the way they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. They needed this road trip because they have they have all lost so much in their own way. You know, Grandpa got kicked out of the home he loved living in Sunset Manor. Yeah. <laughs> what happened at Sunset Manor? <laughs> I take it you didn't like it at Sunset Manor. Oh, it was fucking paradise. <laughs> there were four women to every man there. Four women. <laughs> oh, my God. Alan Arkin is just a genius in this movie. Yeah, you're, you're right. They need the road trip. And yeah. the reason they have the road trip is because of, you know, the call they get for the Little Miss Sunshine pageant. And they say... Olive got whatever second place and the first place person dropped out. So she won. So she's going to be in the Redondo beach, California, little in a sunshine pageant. And I love that 
even after everything that happens, the broken van, grandpa dying of an overdose, they still go to the pageant because they need somebody. They need somebody to win. Somebody yes. needs to win here. Yes. And yeah. She's their last hope. Everyone else has lost. You know, Frank is no longer the the number one Proust scholar. Uh, Dwayne can't go to air. He can't go to the Air Force Academy. Uh, the the nine step thing ain't gonna fucking fly. They've all <laughs> lost. So Olive's the only one with a with a horse in the race still. So exactly. Exactly. Him. And yeah, and so as the road trip starts, I love, you know, the scenes at the, the, uh, when they're, she gets ice cream and they're all like, Oh, this is good ice cream. And Greg Kinnear's character, so mean. Greg Kinnear's like, Oh, you know, Miss America, you know, probably doesn't eat ice cream cause there's fat in ice cream. You know, <laughs> it's like, Oh my God. You know, and you're so right, man. They're definitely rallying behind Olive cause she's, she's the only one that truly can be like a winner, you know, <laughs> you know? Uh, and it's so amazing. And I love in the car when Alan Arkin starts talking to Paul Dano, you know, and Abigail Breslin has the ear, you know, giant headphones in and he's like, listen to me. <laughs> Fuck a lot of women. <laughs> a lot well, of women. Not one, just a lot. And then, you know, Jesus dad, like, come on, like olives in the car. And he's like, Olive, I'll give you a million dollars. What are you guys talking about? Politics. <laughs> you know, it's really amazing stuff. I love the stuff in the car. That's when you find out, you point out the Proust stuff. That's when you really find out about Frank and that, uh, Steve Carell's character, Frank, and that he's kind of a genius, right? In his own yeah. right. And was the number one Proust scholar and had this big breakup. Yeah. And then you, that scene in the gas station when he's buying the porn. <laughs> that one. And that one. Buns and ammo. Yeah. Uh, which, we, which leads us to the later scene of Dean Norris, his character pulling them over. Oh my God. And he sees the buns and ammo. Oh, that's a little different. I love that scene. He's just like, you dirty dog. Oh, I love these. I, lo- I love this one. Like, it's so creepy. <laughs> He's like, oh, you cute family. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> there is a corpse not two feet away. And he's just like, oh, this is, this is good shit. God. And then he finally gets to the gay one. He's like, oh, that's a little different. But I love Kadir's like, look at that. I'm like, huh? Right? Huh? Come on. <laughs> come on. Come on. You, you can't say no, right? Come on. And he lets him go. Yeah, that scene mm-hmm. is brilliant. All, all, the, all this stuff on the road is so good. But, but you know, a, uh, a huge point of the movie, you know, we're just jumping around the plot here because that's, that's just what we're going to be doing from here on out. <laughs> yep, that's how <laughs> we do things now. Get used to it. <laughs> fuck yeah. We're just going to be going all over the place and finding what we like. Uh, I, you know, as they are getting closer and closer to Redonda Beach and they're about to stop uh, overnight, um, they stop at the gas station and Greg Kinnear, you know, makes the call to Stan Grossman, Brian Cranston's character. And, you know, this book deal for the nine steps, like, didn't go through. And that's, that is when Tony Collette turns it up to a different level of acting. And she's like, where does that leave us? And, you know, he's like, get in the car. You know, it gets, it gets really serious. And Tony Collette's face, she just stares at him. And it very much reminds you of, you know, Annie and Hereditary. You're like, uh-oh, what's about to happen here? <laughs> well, it's just and so relatable. She's amazing. It's, it's family arguments about money and, you know, jobs. And the way they act is how real parents yes. act in these situations. Yes. It's, like you said, you know, people relate to this one. People understand it. And it's because of scenes like that. Yeah, because that doesn't, you don't need to know English and know what New Mexico looks like to know that they're talking about money. 
New Mexico is one of my favorite settings in film. It's, it's so oh, beautiful. Man. There's so many opportunities of like different ways you can take a story like that. I'm so glad that they have this like this niche now where they can, you know, have right? a budding film industry. And I love that. And you can thank Breaking Bad for that. Yeah, for sure. I think the Southwest, you know, uh, like outside of California, like that Arizona, New Mexico is a very interesting place for a setting because of how close it is to California, but, but how different it is. Uh, I, I love that. I love that kind of Western vibe, desert vibe, but no, no, no. Life is a lot different around here than, you know, Southern California. And I, I love that. I love when movies and shows capture that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like that, like a union of Southern California and like, you know, Texas with a little bit of Mexico thrown in there. It's this very unique flavor. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we have that scene where the cars, uh, their van is kind of breaking down and they visit that guy and he's like got real broken English and he's like, oh, you know, but these old vans, you kick it into fourth gear, just, just keep going. <laughs> I love it. That's and, and the, the plan. <laughs> and that's, that's how they're, they're like, all right, we just have to start moving the van and we'll all run in. And that's how we have, you know, the great movie poster of them running behind the van and no one gets left behind. No one gets left behind. <laughs> I love when they're driving uh, away from the gas station after the phone call and Paul Dano writes something down, gives it to Frank and Frank just goes, where's Olive? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I look around like they left her at the fucking gas station. Oh man. Yeah. And that's just, great. And, and then, and then they go to that hotel and that's when Greg Kinnear is like, I'm going to fix this. And he drives on this little moped back to New Mexico and confronts, uh, Stan Grossman, or no, he goes to Scottsdale, sorry, Scottsdale, Arizona, confronts Stan Grossman, and it doesn't work, but he just did it anyway. It made him feel like a man, and good for him. And then he goes back, and he's like, I got to do what I got to do. And the next morning is when Grandpa doesn't wake up. But the way they, they do that is so chilling, because that's the last thing you want to hear from your kid. Grandpa won't wake up. Yeah. Whew. But first, Devastating. The, the prior night, he gives her great advice that oh, yeah. I've oh, seen yeah. traveling around the internet for years about you know, what a loser really is. Because she's afraid that she's going to lose the pageant. And because of her fucking dad, she thinks she's going to be a loser. And he, Grandpa tells her, you know what a real loser is? A real loser is somebody who's so scared of failing that they don't even try. That's fucking great advice. <laughs> that is just, oh, I love that. And, and those are the things, you know, when you're a fan of the Oscars and you're watching Alan Arkin work like that and have a script like that and, and have a scene like that, that's why he won. Yes. You know, when a guy that, that big and a guy that important to so many decades of cinema and is such a talented character actor, it, it's, it, you just fucking pay attention when he get, he's giving a speech like that because it's, it's, it really is the stuff of some of, you know, I, again, I'll point out, PSH had stuff like that and almost famous. He has that awesome speech where he just kind of breaks it down, right? Like you have to fucking be you, you know, and movies sometimes just have to say that to us. And little Miss sunshine is definitely saying that to us. Yeah. 100%. It's a great, it's a great scene. And it really just makes you hurt even more when grandpa doesn't wake up. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's, you know, no longer with him. And so I, you know, this is a great scene at the hospital. Uh, I, love how serious it is. And then you have the doctor who tells them like, sorry, he didn't make it. And he goes, Linda, <laughs> I was laughing my ass off. It's so, 
It's so awful. It's such a horrible way to tell a family they lost a loved one. And then she comes in with like her pre-prepared script, but then Greg Kinnear starts going off script because he's asking weird questions. And she turns into, you know, she goes street. She's like, you are not the only one who has had someone die here today, okay? Like, yeah. Oh, man. Fucking, and he's just like, look, can't we just come back? And he's like, she's like, no, there's protocol. And Yeah. I love that even with Grandpa dead, he's like, we're going to go to this goddamn pageant. <laughs> yeah, because he, he still fundamentally believes that, like, we have to be winners. we got to act like winners. we got to hold our heads high. And he's like, now what are we? Are we winners or are we losers? And they end up just, they're like, let's do it. Like, Tony Collette's like, fuck it, let's go. And so they start picking him up. They, they pick up Alan Arkin, Paul Dano, Steve Carell, head out the front door. And, you know, Abigail Breslin's the lookout. And it fucking works. They get that, that body in the car and they're a family now. Holy shit. Yeah, and then for the rest of the movie, Grandpa's rolled up in a sheet in the back. Yes. It's so fucked up. Reminded me a lot of Vacation. Oh, yeah. Right? And it's it's got to be, be an influence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> so good. So good. This, this is now Alan Arkin's out. Yeah. Uh, last, like, 30 minutes of the movie is them trying to make it to Redondo Beach and get in time to that pageant, which is honestly really intense as they get there. And, you know, when they park and they're all, like, running out of the car and Steve Carell is the first one, he starts booking it. And the way he, the way he uh, you know, stops, stops and go in front of the sliding doors, genius, genius touch from Steve. <laughs> I love when they love fuck it. up the horn and now the horn is just on. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, why we, that's why they get pulled over by Dean Norris, right? They get pulled over by Hank Schrader. And that's what, you know, we pointed out, the buns and ammo. That's a great scene. And yeah, it's just a wild ride the rest of the way until they finally get there. And then the, you know, sparkle motion bitch from Donnie Darko is like, no, you guys can't get in. You should have been here at three o'clock. And they're like, come on. We drove from Albuquerque, you know, like, come on. And, you know, this guy's like, hey, I can sign him up. <laughs> and she's like, you don't have to do that. Like, ugh, what a God, what a, you know, see you next Tuesday. It'd be funny if that guy, that guy should be like another powerhouse character actor, like, uh, if PSH is going to be the pageant, like, you know, whatever host, who should be that guy? Like Steve Buscemi? I could see that. Well, I'm never fucking working for these crazy asses. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> yeah. That'd Bill Burr. Awesome. Oh, my God. 100% Bill Burr. Okay. Well, yeah. If we're taken from the Breaking Bad world, yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> oh, you didn't even think of that. You didn't even know you were doing that? Jesus Christ. I was thinking of the king of Staten Island because I just watched that. I mean, we could just throw, you know, yeah, Bob Odenkirk or, you know, one of those cats in there. Yeah. Anyway, it'd be a lot of fun. And, you know, once they get into this pageant, uh, you know, they're kind of looking around like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, because nobody ever really researched this. The family never looked into what these are. They just know Olive loves doing it. And yeah. Because mostly it was uh, Cheryl's sister who was, like, spearheading this whole thing. Yeah. And, uh they get there and they see these kids wearing, you know, bathing suits and makeup and just like overbearing parents and just weird situations. Yeah. And they're all like, I don't want Olive here. What is this? Yeah. To the point where Dwayne, uh, Paul Dano's character is like, I don't want Olive doing this. Like he's, he's trying to convince her to get out of it. It's he's like, no, this is dumb. And at one point him and him and Frank, Steve Carell, they just dip out and go walk around yeah. and they, they kind of have their own talk, which is a really cool scene where he tells him like, Hey man, you gotta like find a way to embrace the suffering because there's no other way around it. You know, you gotta enjoy it, make fun of yourself. You know, and 
when you're in high school, those are your prime suffering years. Like embrace it, take it head on. And that's, you know, coming from a guy who clearly has his own mental battles and try to commit suicide. It's like, that takes balls to even say that stuff because you might get backlash. Like, what about you? You know, but he still was like, Hey, this kid needs to hear this shit right now. And that's a, that's a cool scene. Yeah. And Paul Dano responds with like, you know, hell yeah. You know, fuck everything. Yeah. Do what you love and fuck the rest. And another great advice. Just embrace what you love about life and don't let anything else fucking bother you because who gives a shit? Yeah. That's what we do. He's (laughs) like, life, life is just one beauty pageant after another. Fuck (laughs) him. Oh, so good. Paul Dano. I just love his career. Love the path he's taken. Um, Cannot wait to see what he does with the, uh, you know, in the Batman world. When I was watching this last uh, couple days ago with my family, I told them like, hey, you know, that kid's going to be the Riddler. And they were like, what? <laughs> they didn't believe me. <laughs> that ain't no, so that ain't them, no kid. That's Mr. Pauly D. I said, go watch There Will Be Blood, and then you'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. There Will Be Blood. He's great. And, um, you know, I think he's good in about everything I've seen him in. Uh, 12 Years a Slave, he's absolutely frightening. Um, uh, alongside some, alongside some great, great actors. He's even pretty good in Looper, the scenes he's in. Uh, the guy can direct with wildlife. Um, yeah, can't wait to see what he does with his career. Oh, for sure. And this Batman thing is going to be a big boost for him. Oh, yeah. This is by far the, like, biggest thing he's going to do, you know. Um, so weird that as, he would take as a far role. As IP. I'm like, not surprised. I'm not surprised by it because of just who's who else is involved, you know. When you look at Joaquin Phoenix doing the Joker and Colin Farrell and Robert Pattinson, these are guys that are not – they don't fuck around. They don't. They don't dick around. They're not – paycheck actors they're they're like i'm i'm serious and i come here to show you what i can do actors and paul dano's in that category true it is nice that we're getting this level like this caliber of actor for superhero movies now i love that not to say in the past they haven't been great but like it seems like people you never would have thought would enter this world are doing it and it's exciting well yeah i mean uh, i would i would you know say look at the cast of you know say justice league first the cast of batman yeah. For me as a, for me as a fan I'm just way more excited for the people that are in Batman. Way more excited. That's no that's no, you know, shade to Ezra Miller or anything, but like those he's just not as awesome as Robert Pattinson and Colin Farrell and Paul Dano. That's not like his fault. It's just you know, these are really good casts and that's the kind of shit you have to do if you want to compete with the MCU because they make perfect casts. They really do. Their casting's on point and it looks like DC yeah. is finally going to have some stuff to brag about. Yes. Oh, that's great. We just uh, <laughs> just ventured off into Paul Dano DC world. What uh, we do, what we do. <laughs> it's, it's what we do, man. Um, as Paul Dano and Steve Carell go back to the pageant, you know the family's there. And it's going to happen. You know, Olive's like, "I'm doing this. I'm doing it for Grandpa, right?" I'm. Get, she gets her outfit on. She gives the CD to the guy, and he's like, "Whoa, which track?" <laughs> and she's like, 12. and it's like, "All right, here we go." You know, it's about to happen. And, we pan over to Greg Kinnear and that's where we see him talk to that guy that you pointed out earlier. He's like, yeah. And you know, we're just kind of getting a scene. We're getting the vibe. And then, you know, we have the climax of the movie and it, when she goes on the stage by herself, you know, I, I was kind of freaked out the first time I saw it. I was like, Oh shit, man. Like what's about to happen. But what we get is so priceless is this, you know, insane dance for a seven year old to be doing that, Obviously, Grandpa taught her every move, and they're all absurd. And then you have the pageant people saying, we got to get her off the stage. 
I love the, the hypocrisy though. Cause like, you know, not five minutes prior, you had like kids in bathing suits dancing yes. pop music. How is this any different? If only she's just being more overt about everything. You got that, uh-huh. you know, creep host going like, yeah, like into it. It's so sick. Yeah. No, the hypocrisy is absurd, which is why I love that when Greg Kinnear gets on the stage and he's like, okay, I'm the dad, you know, Get away from I my gotta, daughter. You know, I got, you know, I got to, I got to, I got to get my daughter off the stage. And then he just kind of looks back and forth, you know, and puts it, puts his hand above his head and starts dancing. And then, and then Steve Carell gets on the stage and then Paul Dano gets on the stage and Paul Dano does the best move. Cause he just starts <laughs> thrusting the air, you know, and they're all saying, fuck you. They're all saying, fuck you to the beauty pageant. And they end up not ever being allowed again at one of these, you know, stupid little miss sunshine pageants and they're all like that's okay <laughs> i love that bit right before uh, Kinnear gets on the stage where the the evil lady the dying darker lady asked him like, yeah does your daughter think she's doing and he's like she's kicking ass that's what she's doing like yeah. he's finally a father i love oh that. yeah they're a family by the end of the movie they're a family yeah you get the feeling that even though like his job is fucked they're gonna be fine because they finally are working together rather than trying to each individually pull their own weight. It's like, Hey, if we work together, we might figure something out. Yeah. And, and that, that's really, you know, it's kind of fitting that it takes all of them to get the car starting, you know, for them to like move forward. And it's like, well, all of you have to do a part for y'all to get moving. You know, did you catch that the officer who tells them you're free to go, but you can never compete in a beauty pageant again. That's Marco from better call Saul. I, I know. There has to be a connection here with Vince Gilligan. There has to be. All over the fucking map. It's great. I, I wonder if Michael Arndt, like, did anything, like, with Breaking Bad, like, wrote any episodes or helped anything. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like it seems like there's too many connections. There's a lot. <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe the directors, Jonathan Dayton, Valerie Ferris, maybe they directed some Breaking Bad episodes. I know they directed a shit ton of Red Hot Chili Pepper music videos. There's got to be um, some connection here. I'm not seeing anything with Michael Arndt, but... Maybe you know, we'll dig deeper and we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. And we can do a, like some sort of rewind or, you know, just kind of tell people about it because yeah, there's gotta be something. I mean, it's so weird. <laughs> um, overall I give little miss sunshine a nine. It's, it's a great movie. Yeah. It's, you know, if I, I think I've stated enough how much I like it, it's a 10 for me. I love it. It's rewatchable as hell. I've owned it for a long time. That that yellow has always popped out on my shelf, you know? That bright yellow has always been something that I can throw on and I feel just okay. If I can't sleep at like three in the morning, throw a little bit of sunshine on. It's going to be okay. It's that kind of a movie for me. And I don't think it's just that for me, but I also think it's really good. I know there's some films that I connect to personally that may not be for everybody, but this is one that's like, hey man, if you're human, this 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 will connect with you. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely becoming one of my, uh, you know, in my rotation. I'm going to watch this movie a lot, for sure. It's a great one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you love these actors just by, I mean, it's just like a showcase of all these actors doing really cool stuff. So if you like the cast, it's going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess with that, let's talk about what happened this week in film. Let's do it. Quite a lot. So first off... um, it was announced that Wonder Woman 1984 has been delayed yet again. Uh, it will not be coming out October 2nd. It will instead be coming out December 25th, Christmas Day. Okay. Why? 
So Warner Brothers can capitalize on two weeks in a row of Warner Brothers movies with Dune coming out the previous week. Exactly. And speaking of Dune, we got the trailer for Dune. And I got to say, it looks pretty fucking cool. No doubt, man. You know, I'm, I'm 100% all in. Love the director. Love the stars that are in it. I can't wait. Yeah, I... Like I, I watched the David Lynch uh, Dune for our Twin Peaks episode of the Filmgasm podcast, and I, I did not like it at all. Oh, it's 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 a complete mess. So I that's my only like you know prior reference with this story. So when I you know looked into the new Dune, I didn't really give a shit honestly. But with that trailer, I gotta say I'm intrigued. So oh I think, for sure. Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Well, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll be doing an episode on that in some fashion. Another trailer that dropped this week was um, Rebecca, a uh, remake of the 1940 Hitchcock thriller adaptation of Daphne du Maurier's classic novel uh, with Army Hammer, Lily James, and Kristen Scott Thomas playing the lead roles. And I got to say, that's a really misleading trailer, and I don't think this is going in a good direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that one. Uh, this, this happens, right? Doesn't this, this happens far too often, it feels, where you're like, uh-oh. But, but, but I'll, I'll hold. You know, go ahead, what you're, say what you're going to say. Stop remaking Hitchcock. <laughs> Hitchcock. Stop it. Every time <laughs> I try this shit, it never works. Yes, for sure. I definitely echo that. Um, am I excited that it's on Netflix? Of course. Am I going to watch it? Of course. But yeah. I, I definitely have my certain expectations you know, about aspects of it. Yeah. Rebecca was so good. And you've got to have yeah. you've got to have a set of giant stone balls to step into Lawrence Olivier and Joan Fontaine's shoes. Yeah, we talked about we talked about Rebecca uh, Hitchcock's uh, Rebecca on episode five, which was centered around the Great Dictator, and uh, you know we got to talk about Rebecca a little bit, and that's a great movie. And um, ah, man, I don't know. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Army Hammer in this kind of a role. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I'm. I just, I don't like how they framed it as like, it's a ghost story. Cause it's, it's not yeah. a ghost story. Yeah. We'll see. I, I, I anticipate that it would, I anticipate that we'll probably do that one on filmgasm. Cause I feel like it might be that way. Yeah. And, and, and it might not be quite uh, good enough to be on this show. Is that, does that, is that fair? Good enough. Is, absolutely. We cover, you know, Oscar hopefuls <laughs> and Oscar, you know, I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to be a dick, but like, it, it looks like it might not be like an Oscar kind of movie. Oh, there's so many films that aren't going to make the cut for this podcast. We're, when it comes to new releases, we're going to be very exclusive. We got one coming up on the books, but, you know, yeah. that's one we think is going to be worthy of an Academy Award. You know, we might be wrong. Do Five Bloods might not get any nominations. We don't know. This is yeah, what I think is going to be considered. And Rebecca, I think the, not a chance. I think there's, I think there's two which are both going to be Netflix films sometime in the fall that I think we'll be doing on this show. And I won't say what those are because I'll let those kind of like, I'm not 100% about them, so yeah. I don't want to say for sure. But, uh, you know, we got some great stuff coming up in the next few weeks, so I'm not too worried about it. Our criteria for, you know, mo- most of the show are films that were nominated for Oscars in the past. When it comes to the current releases, we have much stricter criteria. We have much more to look at. And it's it's... We gotta be sure. Before it's we gotta be, it. it's gotta be special. Like, like you said, Defy Bloods is um, Spike Lee. Yes. So if you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. You know, Mank. You know, we're talking about David Fincher here. This is a guy who's consistently up for Oscars. 
consistently, yeah. his movies are consistently talked about in that kind of a realm. So we're probably going to be doing that kind of a movie, but it's, it, it has to have that kind of stature around it. It can't be this, you know, first time guy who's like, Oh, this might be up. We, we, it's gotta be a hundred percent, a Spike Lee conversation, a David Fincher conversation, a Martin Scorsese conversation, stuff like that for sure. And sometimes there will be those first timers that make incredible, you know, waves at festivals and everyone's saying, yes. like, this is going to be the one to beat. In those situations, yeah, we'll take a look at it. Yeah, and you know, uh, I would like to uh, point to our film guys and podcast. We're going to be doing a current film called Host, which yeah. pe- people apparently adore. And I've heard Sean Fennessy, who's my favorite podcaster in the world, he says it's maybe the best movie of the year Ooh. and uh, that, that he's seen so far. He's like, I know there's a lot coming, you know, but he's like, it's just as far as, you know, what's come out, you know, it's one of the better crafted films and I, I can't wait to watch it. Uh, you know, so if you're trying to get some, some new stuff, maybe head over there and check that one out. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, next up. So this was kind of a shock. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen announced that he has already filmed Borat two. I know. I saw that and I was like, whoa, hey now, I didn't, know that was, I didn't know that was even happening. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently it's going to play with the idea that after the first film, Borat became a celebrity and is now interviewing people in disguise and he's going to pretty much target Trump's America. So, you know, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> Shit. Funnily enough, Borat was up for best adapted screenplay at the Oscars that we talked about today. We didn't come up because I couldn't fucking believe that, but yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, one-of-a-kind film. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Uh, this was sad. Uh, notab- uh, notable actress Dame Diana Rigg passed away at 82 years old from cancer. Uh, fans may know her as Lady Olena Tyrell from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, hardcore fans will know her as Tracy DiVincenzo, the Bond girl from 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Hey, the only girl to ever capture Bond's heart and uh, marry him, only to be murdered moments later. <laughs> yeah, it's not a very good movie. Um, I would have bought it if it was Connery. Anyway, not, not the time. There you go. <laughs> there you go. We love Diana Rigg. It's very sad to hear about this. This year sucks. Yeah, <laughs> cancer, fuck you. And next up, and this is very interesting, and because this affects our show, the Academy Awards has announced that they are setting new rules for Best Picture nominees, uh, specifically rules for inclusion. And uh, if you're gonna, if you have any hope of being nominated for a Best Picture uh, starting in 2024, you have to fit through two of the following four criteria. Number one, the film must feature. Underrepresented, group, underrepresented groups, either in substantial roles, the overall ensemble, or its narrative themes. Number two, a certain number of key crew members must be female and or queer, non-white, or disabled. Three, the film's distributor must employ apprentices or paid interns from underrepresented groups. Or four, the company must have female, queer, non-white, and or disabled executives in its marketing, publicity, or distribution teams. So you have to fit two of those criteria and amazingly people are throwing backlash at this. Like, of course they are. What, what is wrong with that? Yeah, I agree with this 100%. Everyone should be included. And if you want to be represented at the Oscars, you got to represent. Yeah. Well, of course it's going to be, you know, people are going to 
not see it as a way to grow. They're going to see it as a way of something to be politicized. And, you know, I immediately texted you and I said, this is dangerous because of that. I don't think it's dangerous. In my world, this is, yeah, this should have been happening a long time ago. You know, of course, of course you should have a good percentage of women on your, on your crew. Cause that's fucking perspective. That's a good perspective to have. Occasionally you might want to ask a female, Hey, do you think it would make more sense to film it this way or film it this way? You know, and you might want, you might want to ask one of the women in the room that question. You might want to ask a person of color, Hey, what do you think? Like, what, what do you think about filming this particular, you know, it's good to have perspective and different opinions and diversity for diversity's sake. I agree. And for, for people to politicize it, man, it's just, this is, this is what America does. This is what we do. This is what people do. The weird it's, thing it's, is it's frustrating as hell. And, and it's a four year, it's a four year process where yeah. people, uh, companies, distribution companies, advertisement companies, um, all have four years to get their act together and figure this out. So I don't see how you could complain at all. But the weird thing is what's really going to change in regards to the films that the Oscars nominates. Look at the, look, look at some of the films to have want, uh, to have taken best picture in the past 10 years. You've got Parasite, a Korean production. You've got, you know, Birdman, which is, you know, directed by a Mexican director. You've got uh, The Artist, a French production. Like, they've been doing this. Moonlight. Moonlight, Spotlight. Like, these are films that, you know, are challenge the status quo for the most part. I mean, then you got Green Book, but even that had, you know, racial uh, themes. So, what, I, don't, I don't understand what people think is going to happen. They, they don't, they don't, they're not thinking at all, right? They're not, it's really simple. And it's a, it's just a way to possibly make the movies a little bit better. That's all it is, is if you have, if me and you are in a room and we're trying to write a movie, well, that's great. But if we added a few more perspectives, that'd probably be really good too. Cause then we could have more, <laughs> more to go off of, you know? And so when you have these giant movies and these giant crews, and these different people controlling different things. Yeah, of course you want to have all different kinds of people. Yeah, and it's not and so, just the cast. It's people saying, you know, you can have a mixed cast or you can have a mixed crew or you can have a whatever, yeah, marketing just, team. Just, just be fair. Just be yeah. fair. Don't, don't just hire a bunch of straight white guys because those are all the guys who are like, oh, I'm obsessed with movies, you know? Like, that's not, that's not all the people that are looking for jobs in that world, you know? And, I, yeah, I just don't see a problem with it at all. I just think it's going to make it... Uh, better can make it more competitive make it you know more fun and at the end of the day the movies that are up for best picture are are just going to get better and better i think over time we're going to have more and more movies like parasite that like you said challenge the status quo and just go for it funnily enough one of the actresses who really came out against this was kirstie alley and uh everyone was tweeting at her like this is not what's keeping you from getting an oscar And I just, I yeah. can't stop laughing. Yeah, who? Come on. Yeah. Like, really? You're, you're mad about this? Like, you have a dog in this race for fuck's sake. No, yeah. No, she does not. Well, well, that covers everything that happened this week in film. This was a fun episode. I enjoyed going over Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, and uh, I think as time goes on, Little Miss Sunshine is a film that I'll just like even more. I don't know how, but I will. You know, I'll keep finding little things that are, relatable and you know that just resonate with me as a fan i agree and uh what are we doing next week next week we are going to the 1940s so uh last cycle we did uh, i had mentioned we did in the bedroom for the 2000s and then 
After that, we followed it up with uh, 1940s, The Great Dictator. Next week, we're going back to the 40s for the second time, and it's going to be 1948's Hamlet, directed by Laurence Olivier, starring Laurence Olivier, a film neither of us have seen. It is on HBO Max, and I believe Red Shoes is on HBO Max as well. Uh, yes. And one of the other ones, I think those are the only two that are on streaming services right now out of that Best Picture group, I think. Uh, yes, we looked into it. Um, the uh, Johnny Belinda, not available. The Snake Pit, not available. And then we own, or I own, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. So those are the five. Yes. Uh, we'll try to get to as much of those as possible. But uh, Hamlet is our focus. Lawrence yes. Olivier is uh, the one he won an Oscar for, Best Picture winner. And uh, we're, gonna, we're doing Shakespeare next week. So prepare yourself. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's going to be fun. You know, we're trying to go to a new place. Uh, definitely a challenging film for us. It, you know, it was up for seven total Academy Awards and won four. That would be at the 21st Academy Awards. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're taking it back. You know, we did Black Panther last week, Little Miss Sunshine today. Uh, we're, we're definitely turning back the clock a little bit. Hope you guys join us. And if you have HBO Max, I hope you watch Hamlet and you can come and, you know, hear some thoughts about it. If you want your horror fix, we are doing Host on Wednesday. Netflix, or, or uh, no, Shudder exclusive. Shudder. Uh, yeah, from what we hear, it's really creepy. It's about, you know, a bunch of kids who summon a demon on a Zoom call. So, <laughs> ought to be relatable. Uh, <laughs> thank you, and uh, we will see you next Sunday. Peace.